The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning. The scripture text today is Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words... Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The word of the Lord. Can you remember a time in your life where it felt like a fork in the road? You know what I'm saying? Where life's moving along and there's a decision out there and there's a road that goes this way and there's a road that goes that way and the car's still moving and you can't stop forever and you're gonna have to make a choice. And you know as you make that choice, it will change things. It's either this way or that way. It will have huge implications for your life. I couldn't help but think as I was pondering this idea that it's July 2018, which meant 14 years ago, my wife and I were facing a fork in the road. Should we go to this little church in California or should we stay here in Boston? That would have a big, big implication on our lives. We're so glad we came. You guys have been very nice to us. But that's like a fork in the road moment. It just changes everything. It changes lots of things, not just for you, but all sorts of other people. We've been studying through Luke's gospel account about Jesus, and Luke really wants to drag us to the ultimate fork in the road moment. The ultimate fork in the road moment. Jesus makes this a fork in the road moment for his disciples, you got you to make a choice, and it's going to change everything. And he calls out everyone to make a fork in the road kind of decision, and it's going to change everything. And you, you can't just not make a choice. You will, by definition, make a choice, and it will change everything. And it, it has huge implications for everything in your life, for your eternal life. That's what this is, a fork in the road moment. And it has to do with these questions. Who is Jesus? Who is he? I mean, really, have you taken the time to sit down and say, what do I do with this 
epic moment of history, this man, Jesus Christ. What do I do with him? Who is he? And then once you begin to answer that, okay, here's my answer. How do you respond to a person like that? What does it mean for you that Jesus is who he says he is or not? And so Jesus is dragging the whole world to this fork in the road moment. Who do you say that I am? Okay, and what will you do with me? And he tells you the answers. He gives them to you right here. So as we're looking to answer these two questions, of fork in the road moment, we want to We want to see three things. We answer that first question, who is Jesus? We want to see the truth that kind of brings you to this fork in the road. Who is Jesus? Then this next question, what do you do with him? How do you respond to him? Jesus is going to then tell you the path you take. So there's the truth that brings you to the fork in the road. He's going to direct you to the right path. You should go this way. And then third, we want to see the power for taking that path. So the truth that brings you to the, to the moment, the path you should take, and the power for taking that path. So let's begin. Verse 18, Jesus is praying alone. He's doing that constantly. The disciples are with him, and as he's praying, it's time. He asks them the first question, who do the crowds say that I am? Now, you need to remember that right now the crowds are saying all sorts of stuff. Jesus has turned Israel upside down, right? He's turned them upside down. There's nobody who speaks like this. There's nobody who can do miracles like this. There's nobody with authority like this. There's nobody with a compassion like this. Uh, All sorts of different kinds of people are coming to him, and it's, it's shaking up the whole place like a snow globe to the point where now Herod, the local kind of tribal king, look what he's asking, Luke 9, 9. Luke 9, 9. Herod said... John, I beheaded, but, but what? Who is this? Who is this about whom I hear such things? The the disciples are having to answer the same question. They've been watching Jesus, listening to him. You remember the account when they're in the boat and the storm comes. Look at Luke 8, 24. Remember, they're, they're, they're fishermen, but they're in this boat. They're terrified. Luke 8, 24. They went and they woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing He awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, which has got to be one of the greatest moments in the Bible. He's napping during a storm, and he's rebuking a storm, and it listens to him. They see it ceased. There was calm. Verse 25, he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid before, and now they're even more afraid. They were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, what are they asking? Who then is this? that he commands even winds and water and they obey him. Who is this? And so finally we come to this moment. Jesus brings them to this moment. First of all, who do the crowds say that I am? What are these masses? You know, we had 15,000 people last week, remember, and Jesus fed them all. Who do they say that I am? And you see the verse, the answer in verse 19. They answered, John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. What do you think of that answer? Does that seem weird to you? Elijah died a long time ago. John the Baptist died like two weeks ago. Um, One of the prophets of old has risen. Now, this is somewhat of a biblical culture, right? Is there anything in the Old Testament that any of the prophets will rise again and come back to Israel? 
I can't think of anything. There is an idea that Elijah would come to prepare the way for the Lord, but it's really someone like Elijah. And Jesus and John the Baptist made it really clear as to who that was. Who is it? It's John the Baptist. Okay? So they're going with, well, let's see. I've got three options. I'm going to go with the beheaded John the Baptist risen from the dead. We're supposed to be like, what? And I can't help but notice these, these two things about their answer. Number one, they know Jesus is more than a normal man right? Their best idea is, let's go with resurrected prophet. They know he's more than a man. It reminds me of even when Nicodemus the Pharisee went to meet with Jesus. John 3, 2, Nicodemus, uh, it says this, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know at least you're a teacher come from God. Why? No one can do miracles like this unless God's with him. So they know he's more than a normal Teacher, They know he's more uh, than a normal human. But then they're going to end up with resurrected prophet. I feel like they're not really listening. I feel like they're not really listening. And as I was pondering this, what does the world say about Jesus? Gandhi, good teacher. Okay, celebrities. Jesus is my homeboy. Um, a great ethical model, a great example of love, or the cults, he's a prophet. I remember being in seminary and universities and professors and people with doctorates off the page are into historical Jesus. Do you remember that? They're looking for the historical Jesus. And so what they would do is they'd try to go around or through the gospels in the New Testament to find out who is he? And they're just missing the letters on the pages of the, every book in the New Testament. They're looking under them, looking over. Who, who could he be? It's telling you. Let's go with resurrected prophet. Why do we do that? Why does everybody say he has to be better than normal, right? Nearly everybody says that. And yet we want to be like, resurrected prophet, good teacher, enlightened philosopher. Why, why do we do that? And here's my guess. If he's a teacher, you might have to listen to him. If he's a prophet, you might have to respect him. But you don't have to be owned by him or live for him or call him your Lord. It's a way to keep Jesus at a respectful distance. Oh, good teacher, pretty smart. I listen to some of the stuff he says. But he doesn't own me. I got something else that owns me. That we can keep him, keep him over there in kind of his safe place. Jesus is not impressed with the crowd's answer. Look at verse 20. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And there's some, there's some oomph in that Greek word, supposedly, where it kind of means, yeah, those answers are dumb. <laughs> no. It doesn't make sense. It's not right. It doesn't take care of the evidence. But, but who do you say that I am? And what's Peter's answer? The Christ of God. God's Christ. And you realize in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is, or Luke, sorry. In the Gospel of Luke, Peter is the first human being to get this right. Isn't that interesting? He's the first human being to get this right. Although we have heard it a couple times. I'll run through it with you real quick. Uh, you remember the angel, Gabriel, talking to Mary, Luke 1.31. He 
Gabriel says, behold, you'll, see, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He will be what? Great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What's Jesus going to be? The son of God? The promised Davidic king who will reign forever? What's it mean for him to be Christ? Just told you. Luke 4.41, even the demons admit it. Luke 4.41, demons came out of many crying. What are they crying about Jesus? You're the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ, the eternal son of God, the promised Davidic king who will reign forever. They know the angel knows. The father at Jesus' baptism rejoiced in it. Luke 3.22. What does the father say to Jesus? You are my beloved son. I delight in you. With you I am well pleased. Apple of my eye. Joy of my heart right here. The son of God. So you remember Christ. It's not a last name, right? Jesus Christ. Matt Ford. No. <laughs> Christ is a title. It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word of Messiah. And Messiah means anointed one, the chosen one, the blessed one, the empowered one. And you could have some different varieties of that. You could have the anointed high priest. He's the one to be the priest for the time. Or somebody could be anointed to be um, a prophet for a time, blessed, chosen for a, for a role, for a, for a moment. But this is, and I love the Greek here, it's the Christ of God. So the possessive there is, this is God's Christ. So you could say it like this, this is God's the one. This is God's the man. This is God's the answer. This is God's the way. This is God's you should look at this. This is God's, this is what I'm going to do. This is God's value, God's treasure, God's wisdom, God's truth. This is what I'm doing right here. God's the one. He's the Christ, the beloved eternal son of God, the promised Davidic king. I mean, we could... I was going to get lost here. How long do you want to talk about who Jesus is? Who's going to bring justice? And every soul will answer to him. That's Jesus. Who is the compassionate, humble, lowly in heart where even a beaten down prostitute can come and find healing and welcome and restoration? Oh, it's Jesus. He's the one who touches the leper. It's Jesus. So he's the king who brings justice, compassionate savior. He's going to reconcile all the world to himself. Who's going to take this broken down dumpster fire we're in and heal it and make it new and make it beautiful, make it what it's supposed to be? Us, Jesus. He's the one. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He reigns forever. He's the eternal son of God. He is the treasure of the universe. He is joy. Who is Jesus? So, so, so Jesus says, what do the crowd say that I am? And they're, they're keeping him at a respectful distance. And Peter says, we got it. And you know what? I, you know why Peter got it? Because I think that's what Jesus was praying about. Let him see, Lord God. And Peter saw you're the Christ. 
Who do the crowd say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. And so now, we, now it's, it's a fork in the road for each one of us. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? Is he your Christ? There's only so many options. You can't be a legend. The Gospels are too early, too honest, too many witnesses, not written like legends. And this takes us to C.S. Lewis, this famous quote. And many of you will remember this. Let's look at it again together. Listen to the words of C.S. Lewis on who Jesus is. Lewis begins, he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Who's Jesus? He's the Christ. He's the eternal son of God. He's the promised king. All right, well, how should you respond to a person like this? How should you respond to a person like this? There's a lot of great people in history you can ignore. You don't need to know about them. You don't need to read what they wrote. You'll be fine. It doesn't matter. But how do you respond to this one? How do you respond? And Jesus will tell us. Look at verse 23. He said to all, he said to all, who's he talking to? All, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I want to work through this a little bit. I think there's, there's three ways we can understand how to plug this in. First one. When you know Jesus as the Christ, Jesus becomes the new priority. Did you hear that? When you know Jesus as the Christ, he becomes the new priority. So some things take a serious demotion. Look at verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him, let him what? Deny what? Himself. So you used to be up here, and what has happened to you? The stock has dropped, okay? Your pride, your self-righteousness, your self-rule, your autonomy, your independence apart from Jesus, that dies. It happens fundamentally when you become a Christian. It happens every day on your journey as a Christian. Take up your cross daily, your independence, pride, self-righteousness, autonomy apart from Jesus, that's down. You, you and what you want alone apart from him are no longer the priority. One thing becomes everything. Verse 24, whoever loses his life for what? For my sake. So are you telling me that Jesus is saying to you that if you are going to know him as the Christ, he has to be so valuable to you that you would even give up your life for him? 
Is that how big he is? Is that what kind of a priority he is in your life? Yes. And by the way, how, how else should you treat the Christ of God? I mean, imagine you're hanging out with the Father God in all his glory. You've already fallen apart, come undone. He pieces you together just barely, you know. You're sitting on the stool. He tells you about his Christ. He's directed all of human history to take us to this moment. He gave us his, his eternal son for us. What do you think of my Christ? And you go, mm. he's a good teacher, I guess. Really? And don't you feel like you need to watch out at that moment? I don't know, I'm not really into him. I really couldn't deal with some of the stuff he said. How else do you respond to the Christ of God other than to say, for everything? I demote everything else. You are now my priority. Whatever that means at any cost, you're, you're it for me. And Jesus is saying, if anyone would follow me, this is how you do it. I'm the priority. I'm the priority. Boy, that means a lot for your life. What does it mean for your life? It means some things get dropped for Jesus. You got anything in your life that needs to get dropped when he's your Christ? Have you had anything like that in your life? Yes. Some things will need to get added. We need to add some things to your life when Jesus is the Christ. Love and serving and giving and church and yeah. And then everything gets transformed. So there's some things that don't drop away. They just, they change. How you do marriage and money and kids and singleness and work and politics and it's all changed because he's your first priority. That's number one. Second, I want to say, I think it's in here, Jesus becomes the new fear. He becomes the new fear. I want to be a little careful here. I don't mean fear like terrified run away. I don't mean that at all. The way the Bible often uses the word fear is the person you fear is the one you want to please. The person you want to please. The group of people where you go, I need to be like that. I need to meet their expectations. I care what they think. I want them to be happy with me. I want them to look at me in a certain way. The one you want to please the most is the one that you fear. It's really a part of love. If you really love someone in a way you, you fear, you deeply care what they want. So, hmm, if that's true, look at what Jesus says in verse 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Why would somebody be ashamed of Jesus, who he is, and what he said? Because they deeply fear something else. Okay, if you want to be respected and liked by a certain crowd, and they don't like Jesus, and you're in that crowd, and all of a sudden it comes up, what do you think of Jesus? And you're like, well, uh, he was a good teacher. <laughs> who did you fear? You feared that, that group, that cultural expectation, that idea. You feared that so much. And to where, because they wouldn't like Jesus, you were ashamed of him because you feared them. Do you see that? 
And so then when you follow Jesus, when you want to be devoted to him, what's the new fear? Jesus is the fear. So that's why he says, take up your cross and follow me. It's the idea of a cross beam. You remember, right? You saw, you saw the Jesus movie and he gets sentenced to death. And now what does he have to carry up to the hill? His cross. And it is the ultimate walk of shame and rejection. Look, there he is. The worst criminal. The failure. Let's mock him. Let's spit at him. Gross. Disgusting. Jesus is making that walk to the cross. Abandoned. Ashamed. Condemned. And Jesus is saying then, when you follow me, if you follow me, I become your new fear. It just means this. You want to please me. You care about my pleasure, my pride in you, my happiness in you. I'm the one you fear to the point to where you don't fear everybody else in the same way. And if they are going to shame you and slander you and even make you carry a crossbeam for me, you'll say, here goes. Because I'm the one you want to please. That's what Jesus is saying. You have to want me more than you want the status of the culture. More than you want that relationship that's pulling you away from him somehow. More than you want to live for money or power or pleasure. More than anything. What is your thing that that tempts you? Jesus is saying, when you follow me, I'm your new priority, and I'm your new fear. You, you love me, and you know my love such that you want to please me above anything else, even if it leads to a crossbeam through the city. A new fear. Jesus has a question for all of us. Look at verse 25. It's so important. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits? Forfeits what? himself and it's right in the context of who you fear so imagine it was set before you imagine imagine here it was and and uh, it was set before you you can have the whole world if you just keep jesus over here as like good teacher resurrected prophet person you can have the whole world now think about it friends what would you pick first in that buffet you want that big house by the beach I'll send your, your name is on the cover of the magazine. Praising you for that one quality you always wished you were known for. Everybody's like, wow, look at you. And when you want to get away, you can get away wherever you want to go. And it's all right there, and you're healthy, and you're happy, and you have a claim. Oh, and there's tons of money in the bank, and you're involved in charities, and everybody's like, wow, you, 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 you. You can have the whole world. And what if it said, you can have that or you can have Jesus? Which one you want? What would it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your very self? Because Jesus said, there's going to be a day when everybody stands before me. And if your life was a picture of, I'd rather have the world than you, Jesus, right? You're ashamed of me and ashamed of my words. If your whole life was, I'd rather have the world than you, Jesus would be like, well, I'll be ashamed of you at that moment. It's not an easy thing to say. It's not an easy thing to hear. It's not an easy thing to imagine. Imagine the Christ of God, the Christ of God looking at you and going, you're not mine. Oh, and you're like, that's a shock. And it's, it's, it, Jesus is loving us right now. Don't walk down that path. 
And what's amazing is, you know, Jesus says, what would it profit if you gained the whole world? Many, many people give up on Jesus for just crumbs of the world. Crumbs. I want to have that one person think well of me. I wanted to get the raise, you know, crumbs of the world. How much more the whole world? Just Jesus says, if you follow me, I'm the one you fear. I'm the one you fear. And folks, isn't it worth it? You know, that Jesus in, in this passage gives the negative, the terrifying negative, you know, I'd be ashamed of you. <laughs> but look at the positive. You know what Jesus says to his disciples who follow him? Luke 19, 17. You imagine the glorious Christ here. And he looks you in the eye. And you're like, is he going to, you know, what's he going to say? And what if he looks at you and says, well done, good servant. What are you going to do? <laughs> Tolkien said, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. Do you need any treasure in heaven other than Jesus looking at you and saying, good job? I'd just be like, well. Kill me now, but you can't because I'm in heaven. <laughs> That's just it. The way to come to Jesus, he's the new priority. He's the new fear. You care about what he thinks, what pleases him. Third one, Jesus is the new life. Is Jesus trying to crush you here, ruin you, mess with you? You know, life's all just about pain. Take up a cross. Hate yourself. Wear a cross and hate yourself. Is that what he's talking about? For whoever, verse 24, whoever would save his life will lose it. Well, why would you lose your life, whatever that means? What's the goal? Save it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. He's telling you this not because he doesn't want you to have a life. He wants you to have true life. True life. You know, imagine I'm carrying uh, trash out to the dumpster, and I find some treasure there. You know, and I'm like, you know, trying to hold both. And, oh, what do I need to do? Stop the trash and grab the treasure. I'm the treasure, Jesus is saying. I'm life. You were made for this. You were made for me. I'm joy. I'm satisfaction. I'm truth. I'm meaning. I'm everything you were ever meant to be. Come to me and find life. What are the three things on following Christ? New priority, new fear, new life. And I got to say, uh, as, we, as we finish this section... You know, when Jesus says, if anyone would come to me, number one, that's an encouragement. Who can come to Jesus? What if you really messed up your life? It doesn't matter. What if you tried before and it didn't work? That doesn't matter either. What if you're not rich enough or this or that or whatever it is you can imagine? Is there any human distinctive reason why you can't come to Jesus? Or can anyone come? Come on. Anybody. You can come. It's an encouragement. But here's the warning. Some people will hear a message like this and be like, where's the third option? The third option is, can I believe some facts about Jesus and then live however I want? Was that in there somewhere? I'm, I'm trying to find the, like, you know, the, the carnal Christian thing where I can believe in him enough to be forgiven, but I don't have to be devoted to him. 
Where's the, where's the third road on our three-pronged fork? And what's the answer? There isn't one. And so here's, here's again the, the confronting news. This is the only way to be a Christian. You can't, you, you don't really know that Jesus is the Christ until you devote yourself to him as your Christ. That's what I'm saying. You don't really know that Jesus is the Christ until you devote to him, yourself to him as me. This is how. Which means, right, we're brokenhearted here. It means a lot of things that are called Christianity are not. And it means that a lot of people who claim Christianity might not be so. I'm not reading hearts. I don't know the future. I don't know what they're going to do later. But you're hearing Jesus' words. What's the path on which you follow me? It's devotion. What's the other path to follow me? There isn't one. So who is Jesus? He's the Christ. What do we do? We devote ourselves to him as our Christ. Okay, what about the power for the path? How many of you can hear Jesus' description about this path and be, feel like you got run over by a truck? Do you have a sensitive conscience? Uh, can you remember a time you were ashamed of Jesus and his words? Is there anybody actually out there who says, no, I can't remember that? <laughs> can you remember a time when you, when, you, when you, I mean, have you always lived for him the way you should? Do you always deny yourself, take up your cross daily? Uh, is he always your greatest fear? I mean, even Peter is going to have this problem later. If anybody's ashamed of me, and Peter's like, oh, I totally bailed when that 14-year-old girl asked me if I was one of Jesus' followers, remember? What's the power to actually walk this path? I haven't done it. I don't know if I can do it enough. What if I, is Jesus saying, hey, the only way you can be mine is if you deny yourself enough? I'm watching you, and if you reach like 70% denial level, then we'll be like, oh, okay. For you 49% people, no. Is that, is that what Christianity is? You really have to be careful here. How do you walk this path? Do you remember that really strange thing that Jesus said in verse 20? He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. And then what did Jesus say right after that? Verse 21, he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Shh. Is that confusing anyone? Are you going, what's going on? I thought we were supposed to tell people he's a Christ. Why is he telling us to shut up right after he says, hey, I'm the Christ? Here's the reason. Of course, he will tell them later to tell everyone, right? Here's the reason. There's an essential piece to Jesus being the Messiah that they have not yet digested. They don't get the whole picture yet. And Jesus is going to tell them right now. Listen to how the sentence works. He strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, so this is why you can't talk about it yet, saying the Son of Man will suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. I said you, you don't really know Jesus is the Christ until you devote himself, yourself to him as your Christ. And now I need to say you can't really devote yourself to him as your Christ until you realize that he's the Christ who devoted himself for you. You can't really see him until you see what he's done on the cross. You can't really follow him until you've tasted and known what he's done for you 
on the cross. That's what Jesus is saying. If you vision me as a Messiah without the cross, you don't see me. If you see following me without the cross, you, you, you can't walk it yet. The power for this is seeing the cross. And what is a major reason Jesus came to die on a cross? Look at 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10. Will you read this with me? Read the sentence with me. 1 John 4.10. Can we find it there? Here it is. Keep going. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Who loves first? Do we go say, God, let me show you how much I love you by denying myself. And you go, eh, okay, I love you. Is that how this works? No, this is love. Not that we have loved God. That's not it. But that he loved us. And what's the picture of his love? He sent his son, the Christ of God, to be the propitiation. Everybody say, propitiation. Don't you feel theological, Spurgeon-ish? Propitiation. <clears throat> Substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement in your place. In your place. If I told you my story, it would be, I deserve God's wrath for all the times he wasn't my priority, for all the times I feared the dumbest things over him, for all the ways I haven't denied myself for all the ways I've loved the world instead of him, I deserve that cross. And Jesus says, I will wear that for you. I will pay for all the times you were ashamed of me. And then you can have the standing, if you'll trust in me, of being the one who was never ashamed of God and his word, who always had him as the priority, who always took joy in him. That could be counted to you, even though you haven't even done it yet. I'll make you right with me by grace through faith. I went to the cross for you. When you taste his love for you, freely given by grace through faith, Something changes. Instead of seeing the call to discipleship as this burden, ugh, something changes. You see God's love for you in Christ, and you say, you know what? I don't even want to live for myself anymore. That's trash. There's nothing there. There's no joy there anymore. I want to know Jesus. And you begin to love him in his truth more and more. And when there's a moment where it's this fear or that fear, you're like, you know what? Jesus has won my heart. Give me the cross beam. I'm on his team. I care about the world. I care about you all, but I, you don't owe me anymore. I'll wear the cross if I have to. It's, you, you want to go there. You want him to be your priority. You love to have him as your fear. There's a psalm that says there's forgiveness with you, God, that you may be feared. Think about that. There's forgiveness that you may be feared. So now that you're forgiven and welcome, now you're able to enjoy his love and want to love him back. That's what it means. He took our sin and he did this so that you could be treated like you always lived it right. 
He gave his life so that he could be your life. He gave his life so that he can be your life. And this changes everything. So let's wrap this up. Who is Jesus? He's the Christ of God. Total devotion. Total devotion. He's your priority. He's your fear. He's your life. How do you follow him like that? Know his cross and what he's done for you. See his love, his grace, his mercy, his strength, his truth, and it changes you. Because this is a fork in the road. What can possibly get you to where you want to deny yourself and take up a crossbeam? What could possibly get you there? And the only thing that can do it is a power of a new and greater love. A new and greater love. You've known the love of Jesus. And you're filled with love for him. And you say, let's go. Let's go. So church, Jesus is the Christ. Devote your life to him. And in the power that comes from the reality that he devoted his life for you. Let's take our cross and follow him. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.